Merry Christmas. It's Christmas season. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Christmas, it comes around every year, uh, whether you're ready or not, doesn't it? Um, and it gets a little bit closer once you get into December. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, Christmases are interesting for me. There are, there are certain Christmases, certain years where I feel like I really just click into and I engage emotionally uh, with, with Christmas and like, like what we're hoping to celebrate and connect with in Christmas. I remember one time, um, I was probably about like 15, 16, something like that, um, and I was watching TV back when TV was like a thing that like decided what you were going to watch, not when you decided what you were going to watch on TV, you know? And, uh, and it was like the claymation Christmas story was on TV, and I was watching it for some reason, I don't know why, but I got kind of sucked into it. Um, and something about like baby Jesus being born as like a squiggly little claymation doll, kind of creepy a little bit, something about that was hitting me, and I remember I was crying watching like the claymation nativity story, right? And I remember thinking, I hope like, like my mom or my brother, nobody like walks in and sees me crying watching a claymation cartoon, you know? But something about just the reality of like Jesus entering the world, just like, it just like, it got me, it surprised me, it like attacked my heart because I was, I was connecting with the reality of what happened that day so many years ago. Um, Every once in a while, I have a Christmas season that, that, that I, I kind of feel like that. But, but most Christmases, if I'm honest, I just feel like I kind of glide by. It catches me by surprise. And I'm more concerned about like, gosh, like what am I going to get everybody? And when am I going to go out shopping? And I don't want to go out shopping. Um, and it just like I'm kind of stuck in all, a lot of those things. And I have a hard time engaging emotionally um, with, with what's taking place. And how, how do we do that? Like how do we... How do we actually intentionally engage emotionally in a meaningful way with, with Christmas and what we're trying to engage with? And not just like, you know, the Hallmark version, you know, the, the Hollywood version of like, oh, family, that's great, you know, but like actually Jesus and the joy. And that's what we're trying to do in this Advent season is to connect with some of the things that Jesus brought into the world when he was born. So how, how do we do that and not just skate by? And, and really today, like today's not a, a sermon that I'm hoping we're going to learn something new. It's not even one of those build courageous people moments where I'm hoping like tomorrow we'll go out and we'll do something and we'll like just kind of go get it and go tell the people at your office about how much Jesus loves them. Really, that, like none of that is what I'm hoping will happen today. Today is the day where I'm just hoping that you and I will connect with the reality of the joy that Jesus brought and that Jesus will bring in the future. And so I think maybe I'd like to tell you a story about a really significant insignificant moment in my life. It was, it was a couple weeks ago. It was a Saturday, which means for Colleen, my wife, and I, um, for us uh, on Saturdays, we try to observe the Sabbath, which mostly for us just means uh, we try not to do anything that feels like work. We try to spend a little bit less time on our phone, and we try to spend some time connecting with, with each other and, and maybe with the Lord. Um, and I remember I was sitting on the couch, and I was reading a book in our living room, and we've got a lot of nice uh, natural light in our room. It's kind of really a peaceful place. Um, Colleen's got like this little aquarium that's like kind of annoying, but it's always got this tinkling water sound, which is really relaxing, you know. Um, I'm sitting on the couch reading my book, and Colleen is sitting in the big comfy chair next to the couch. Um, and she's got this big plastic mixing bowl that she's stolen from the kitchen on the floor. And, and, and in that bowl, she's got a large ball of soft blue yarn. And she's taking full advantage of her natural armrest, which is her baby bump. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Colleen is very pregnant right now. Um, eight months. Actually, we're due a month from yesterday. Um, so we're really excited about that. So she's taking full advantage. Yeah, you can cheer for that. Baby boy on the way. I'm excited about that. 
Um, so she's like not letting, you know, the natural armrest go by, right? She's like, boom, just full on, like this is the, be- like there's at least one advantage to being eight months pregnant and it's this, right? And so she's slowly tugging away at the yarn from the mixing bowl that she stole from the kitchen um, as she's crocheting a blanket uh, that she's hoping to finish before her baby boy comes so that she can give it to him as a gift. And I just like, I I caught a glimpse of this out of the corner of my eye and I look and I see her face and she's just like smiling ear to ear as she's like tunnel vision focused in on getting this thing done as quickly but as flawlessly as possible so that she can give it to our son. And I'm realizing how even though she hasn't even seen his face, she's just loving him and being such an excellent mother already. And I just feel like in an instant I'm dropped into a pool of sweet, simple joy. Like not, not the joy that makes you like clap, not the joy even that makes you cry, but just the joy that permeates every fiber of who you are. Like it's in my hands and my feet and the depths of my chest. Like there's just a deep, rich joy. And I look at Colleen and I get her attention and I, and I tried to explain this to her. I said, Colleen, I just like, I love you so much. And I said, Colleen, there were moments of joy that I knew to expect, but this one, I didn't know to expect, like no one ever told me to expect this. And, and she could tell I was saying something nice, but she was obviously confused because that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. She said, what do, you, what do you mean? And so I tried to bumble my way through explaining it. And I said, there are moments in life that you, like, you know to expect moments of joy, right? Like you know your wedding day is a moment that's okay to look forward to and expect that that will be a moment of joy. And I knew that. And I knew that like moving in together after we got married and setting up our first apartment, that that would be a moment of joy. I knew the adventures that we were gonna live were moments of joy I could look forward to and expect. And I knew and still do know to expect the joy of the day when we're like 80, 90 years old, we're on the front porch, we're both in our rocking chairs, she's probably crocheting then too. I've got white dreadlocks that like are 13 feet long and dragging on the floor, right? And we're holding hands, like that's a moment of sweet joy that I'm looking forward to. I probably only have three dreadlocks left by then, by the way, I'm losing, losing some of the ones back here. Um, like I, I know to look forward to those moments of joy, but this one our first pregnancy, you on the couch, already being such a good mom. Nothing fancy, nothing special. Like, we're, I'm pretty sure, like, I'm not even wearing a shirt. We're just in our PJs still, you know? Like, something about that moment was just sweet, simple, beautiful joy. And it caught me off guard. And she smiled and said she loved me and went back to her crocheting. And I smiled at her and picked up my book intending to keep reading it. But I realized that as I had explained to her the joy I was feeling, I had, I had sunk deeper into the joy of that moment there on the couch. And so my mind, instead of reading, I started wandering and, and started rewinding through life of those moments that were uh, in the past looking forward to future moments of joy that we've experienced already. And so I thought about the season of, of engagement, right, which is such a special time if you've ever been engaged. And, and if you're like looking forward to it, it's a great thing to look forward to. And by the way, if you're single and you're not looking forward to getting married, that's fine too. That's great. The Bible says, I just can't like hit that without saying like, like we've talked so much about marriage and I'm going to just ush and gush and be like all cheesy today. But I just want to say there's something beautiful about singleness and serving the Lord in that. And there is a wholeness of intimacy uh, in the community of Christ. For those of you who choose not to marry, that's a great thing that we don't talk about enough. Total side note, sorry. Um, uh, kind of like detracts from the sweetness of the ushy-gushy, right? But, um, but like I thought about that engagement period when you're looking forward to being, you're expecting the moment of joy that comes on your wedding day and how sweet and how precious that is. It's a season of life unlike any other. 
And as I was thinking about that, I just sunk a little bit deeper in the joy of that moment there on the couch next to my pregnant wife. And so then I kept rewinding through my life and I thought about the season of life that came before that when we were dating. And that expectation of a moment of joy for our wedding day wasn't as much an expectation as it was an uncertain hope. Right? It's some at some times strong, at some moments really shaky and like, I don't know, is this gonna end in the sweet moment of joy of be, of getting married, of building a life together, or is it gonna end? and heartbreak, like so many other moments of joy and hope and anticipation in the past. And I realized that as I was thinking about the uncertainty of that season of life that was pointing to the certainty of this moment on the couch, the joy of this moment on the couch, I was sinking deeper into it. And so I kept rewinding through my life and I thought about all of the seasons of life that came before I met Colleen, right? Like from when, about the time I met Colleen all the way to like my early teen, maybe even preteen years and the many different seasons of life that had a lot of different things happen, joy and the intimacy of getting to know the community of God and getting closer to the Lord and growing and maturing as a human being and getting to try to look a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit, look, little bit less like my flesh. Like all of that was great, but also through all those seasons, there was a slow, steady drone of a very specific, kind of loneliness that many of us are familiar with. That sense of, will I find a girlfriend? Will I find a wife? Will I find someone to build a life with? And that low drone of loneliness was occasionally interrupted by brief moments of infatuation and hope as I would meet this pretty girl or that pretty girl, and she likes me and I like her, and we'll see what happens, and we'll go on one date or two. But all of those moments of a little bit of hope and infatuation were inevitably, until I met Colleen, they were crashed, they were broken, and ended with a season of extended heartbreak and a, and a greater depth of that specific loneliness. And I thought about, you know, the months of listening to emo songs on repeat as they just became the soundtrack for that particular rejection, right? Don't lie, you've done it too. I know you did. Some of you are doing it right now. Some of you are like, yeah, this girl, this boy, like broke my heart, and it's like this song, T-Swift, on repeat, nonstop. I know, I know. I thought about like the, the gallon jugs, the family size uh, jugs of ice cream that I decided were Alex-sized cartons of ice cream because they were the only thing that could soothe the burn of rejection, right? Also, I know you've done it. I know you've done it, don't lie. Ben and Jerry's, no thank you, too small, mm-mm. My heart's been destroyed, family-sized. Family-sized, that's like one or two nights right there. I, I, I remember discovering binge-watching. I actually would say I invented binge-watching. It was my senior year. I found out the girl that I really liked had just gotten back together with her ex-boyfriend, and I was crushed. I came home one night. My sister was watching the first episode of Lost, and I was too cool to watch Lost because it was the cool TV show at that, that, that point in time. So I watched the whole first episode from the kitchen before finally for the second episode being like, okay, I guess I'll sit down. And then a week and a half later, I had watched four seasons of Lost which is way more impressive because seasons were longer, but none of this like six episode nonsense. We're talking full-blown 20 episode stuff, right? Not only that, this is pre-Netflix. So every so many episodes, I had to grab a DVD, get in my car, drive to Blockbuster, which was still a company that existed, and exchange it for the next few episodes of Lost. So this, was a, this is an impressive feat, right? Like, and I thought about all those heartbreaks. I thought about the moments of like crying out to the Lord on my floor in my bedroom alone, and honestly, sometimes just crying. And all of that loneliness and all that uncertainty, and I realized that all of those moments, those heartbreaks, those lonelinesses, they were pointing to this moment here alone on the couch with my pregnant wife who's already a wonderful mother. And that little drone of loneliness 
I haven't seen it for six years. And, and, all, and, and it just seemed like all of that joy was getting so much sweeter. And that's my hope for us today, is that we would just connect with the joy of the relationship that we have with Jesus that was made possible because God became a little baby so that he could live a life for you and for me, so that he could die, so that he could resurrect, so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins, so we could be restored, we could be reconciled with God, that our relationship with him could be healed and made whole, that you and I, we were at one point in time, we were on death row, we were condemned to something far worse than death, and we earned it over and over and over again, but Jesus came and he entered the world, and now we're not condemned to death, we're blessed with eternal life, and not just eternal life, but eternal life near to God. And there are so many moments that we know to look forward to, but also I tell you, there are gonna be moments in eternity, many, many more of them, that catch us off guard with their sweet, simple joy. And we're looking forward to that, and we're experiencing that, and that is the moment in which we live right now in history where we have access to the joy of the Lord, where we can listen to the Holy Spirit, where we can speak to the Son and the Father and the Spirit. We can engage with them. The Spirit of God is in this room, on us, upon us, in us, among us. There's a moment of great joy, and I'm hoping we can stir that joy a little bit today, but maybe for us it might be helpful, if, as it was for me, if we rewind in the, story, in the story and we look at some of the sorrows that led up to the joy of right now and the joy of the moment when Jesus was born. And so that's gonna take us back uh, to Genesis chapter three. And you guys know the story, right? God creates the world. He makes this beautiful garden. Then he puts Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, they're, they're married. They're in this wonderful relationship with each other and with God. And it's just this beautiful community and intimacy. And they see each other face to face with nothing between them. And God makes this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, hey, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. And the day you do, you'll surely die. And so one day, Adam and Eve, they're on a walk through the garden together. And they pass by the tree and the serpent, the enemy, the devil, Satan, is there. And says, hey, why don't you take a bite out of this fruit? And Eve says, no, 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 no. God told us we can't do that. And he says, did, did he really say that? And she looks at the fruit and sees that it's ripe and see that it looks good to eat. And so she takes the fruit and she sinks her teeth into it. And you might imagine some juice begins to dribble down and she's just enjoying a new, fresh, sweet taste of this fruit that God said not to eat of. And she passes it to her husband and says, it's real good. And he takes a bite. And all of a sudden in that moment, sin, death, sorrow, Grief, brokenness enter the world. And their eyes are opened and all of a sudden they realize that they are in an emotional state and a state of being that has never existed before. They feel ashamed. And they realize that they're naked. Before their nakedness, there was nothing to hide. But now all of a sudden, there's shame. There's something to hide. So they go and they hide themselves from the Lord. And the Lord seeks them out and finds them. And he is grieved and he is brokenhearted as he's going to declare and define the horrible fallout from this break in relationship that followed their sin. And so that takes us to Exodus, or sorry, to Genesis uh, chapter three, verses 14 through 19. So God, uh, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust you are and the dust you will return. And so God says, guys, oh, here's the sorrow and the death that's entered the world with this sin. He says to the woman, now there's going to be pain in childbearing, this thing that was supposed to be a joy and a breeze and fun and easy. Can you just, all the moms out there, can you just think what it would be like if it was easy? That's what it was intended to be, right? Now, let me tell you something. I, I don't know a lot about the pain of childbearing, but I know more than I did eight months ago. And I know that I cannot tell you the last time Colleen had a good night's sleep. And I can't tell you the last time she was comfortable. Right now, she's sitting there, eight months pregnant, not comfortable. Guarantee you, she's feeling pain somewhere. Right, that entered the world with sin. But not only that, like it gets way worse than that, doesn't it? Like pregnancy can get a lot worse than that. And and even more tragically, like the day of labor can get a lot worse than that. Sometimes in the day when life was supposed to enter into the world, a mother doesn't make it through labor alive. And sometimes when a little baby child is supposed to enter into the world with life, they enter in stillborn and death replaces life and tragedy replaces joy. And this is because of the brokenness of our sin. And then God says, and, then, and your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. This relationship that was meant to be mutual submission, that was meant to look like the beautiful community and intimacy that exists in the Trinity, that relationship between man and woman, it's broken now. And if you look over the pages of history, you can see that brokenness defined, can't you? That in every society, all over the course of human history, there is this broken tendency for men to use the strength that was meant to protect in order to subjugate. And that's because of a brokenness and because of a sin. It is not because of God's original design or his intention for us. And to the man, he says, now the the work that I gave you that was gardening, that was ordering, that was creating something beautiful out of chaos, that work of gardening is now something that will be necessary and by sweat and toil, you will squeak out just enough food to make it alive to the next day and the ground will produce thorns and thistles and sorrow and brokenness and weary muscles will be a day-to-day thing. And to the serpent, he says, you'll slither around and eat the dust and I'll cause enmity, animosity, just a disdain between you and the woman and her offspring. And she's gonna have a child that will be born that will crush your head, though you'll bruise his heel. And so here in this moment, when God is defining the fallout of sin and the tragedy and the grief that is going to come for thousands of years to come and many generations, the tragedy and the grief and the sorrow that you and I have tasted, in the moment when God lays that out and says, this is what's coming, he also inserts a little hope of a moment of joy that's on the way. That's coming a moment when a little infant will be born who will crush the head of the serpent of the enemy where all of this began. And in the process, that child will be wounded. And so imagine you're an Israelite and you read this and you're like, that's where it all started. That's where my cousin who passed away in childbearing, it came from that. That's where the tragedy and the sin and the death and the sweat of my brow every single day working the field, like, and, and the deceit and the lies and the abuse and all of the horrible things that I've seen. It all began in this moment when sin entered this world. But then you read that little bit about the child who would be born 
that he would crush the head of the serpent. And you think, whoa, 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 that's a big deal. This is gonna, like someone's gonna put an end to this. A child will be born of the woman. And so you flip to the next page looking for does this happen? When does this happen? And you read, sure enough, the next story is a story about two children of the woman. And you think, is one of them gonna crush the head of the serpent? And that's the story of Cain and Abel. And it's not Abel, obviously, because he gets killed. And it's not Cain because he does the killing, right? Like he's subject to the serpent. He's falling in line with the deceit of the enemy. And so you're a little heartbreaking, right? You had an excitement and then a letdown. And then you flip forward a little bit more and there's a man, Noah, who we're told is like blameless in his generation. It must be this guy who's blameless in his generations, right? And the next thing you know, he's drunk, passed out, and naked. And well, it's not that guy. And so you flip forward a little bit more. Maybe it's this guy named Abraham that God is beginning this new kind of relationship with him, that he's reaching out in covenant, restoring the connection, the friendship, the relationship that once was in a unique way. And maybe it's Abraham who will crush the head of the serpent, but then you read on in Abraham's life and he does all these sleazy, weaselly things and you realize it's not Abraham. He's not the child who will crush the head of the serpent. Maybe it's his son Isaac who was born to his mom in a really miraculous way. She was far too old to be pregnant and yet she's pregnant. Way on the wrong side of those advanced years, right? And so maybe it's gonna be Isaac, but he falls in the same pattern of his father. It's not Isaac who'll crush the head of the serpent. Maybe it's Jacob who'll crush the head of the serpent, but he's just as bad as his father and his grandfather. And so we're heartbroken. Where is it? We skip forward and we see a man named Moses and Moses delivers the people from Egypt and we're so excited it must be this guy who's gonna crush the head of the serpent. Though he'll be bruised in the process who will defeat sin and death like God promised in the moment that he declared the fallout of sin. And Moses, after delivering the people from Egypt, wanders in the wilderness and fails and doesn't even get to take them into the promised land. And so maybe it's Joshua, but then it's not Joshua. Or maybe it's any one of the dozens of, of judges over hundreds of years, but it's none of them. Maybe it's King Saul, but it's definitely not King Saul. And then maybe it's King David, right? A man after God's own heart who takes Israel and brings them into a place of prominence and stability and sets the stage for the building of the temple. It must be King David, but he fails so miserably. And then we have hundreds of years of wicked king after wicked king with the occasional good king that you think maybe, maybe it's that guy, but it's not. And then hundreds of years of silence. Nobody even looks like they might be the promised child. Nobody. The only place where there's any hope for this promise of Messiah, of a child who would be born to crush the head of the serpent but be wounded in the process, the only place where you can find a whisper of that hope is written down on these ancient pages that we call the Old Testament. And into that silence and almost hopelessness, a young woman named Mary is visited by an angel who says, Mary, you're gonna be pregnant. And she says, how? <laughs> not married. I haven't slept with anyone. He says, it's going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine she's thinking, is this it? Is this the child? And he says, we're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, God saves. And imagine she's thinking, this is it. This is the child that's going to be born to crush the head of the serpent, though he'll be wounded in the process. And then the angel says, hey, by the way, your relative Elizabeth, who's way too old to be pregnant, she's six months pregnant. And so Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and we have the story that we read, uh, that, that, uh, that we read during the reading this morning. 
Right, Mary visits Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant. Little baby Jesus, if, you, if, if Mary had the little pregnancy app that tells you like what fruit or vegetable your child is, baby Jesus was like a little pea. He's like just a little, little tiny baby pea right there in there. But, but Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant, so he's probably what, like, a, like some kind of squash or something, you know, John the Baptist. Um, and, and Mary enters the room, and, and, and Elizabeth feels baby John leaping for joy, and she knows this isn't just a normal like ninja kick from her baby. This is like a jump for joy, and she feels a move of the Spirit and begins to prophesy over Mary. And Mary responds by magnifying the Lord and repeating so many of the things that God has done and saying, God, you've been faithful. The promises you gave to Abraham, the promises that you gave to our forefathers, you're faithful to us to deliver on those promises now. And the joy breaks into the sorrow of thousands of years. It cracks into the world through the leap of a little unborn baby John. And it spreads from there to the mothers in the room. And over the next 30 years, it would spread all across Israel. And over the next 2,000 years, it would spread all across the world. And right now, here in this room, there are people here, maybe you're one of them, who are experiencing the joy that began with that little unborn baby John. Because Jesus was born. Because he walked into the room and he lived just like you and I to die, to resurrect, to be in relationship with us, to heal our broken relationship with him. So what I'd like to do is take just a moment and, and, and I'm hoping we can just connect with Jesus a little bit. If, if you know the Lord and you're used to talking to the Lord and listening to the Lord, this will be maybe a familiar thing for you. If, if you don't know the Lord, this might be a new thing and you don't have to do it, but I'd, I'd encourage you maybe give it a try. We're gonna just kind of try to connect with the Lord. And so if you would, um, again, you don't have to, but if you would, maybe close your eyes. Maybe lift your hands up to the Lord. You can put them in your lap or on your side or whatever feels comfortable for you. Just take a deep breath really quick. And invite the Holy Spirit, just in your own words, in the privateness of your own heart and mind, invite the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts, your feelings, and your heart. And if you would, I'd like you to, to bring to mind some of, of the, the sorrows, some of the grief, some of the loneliness, the pain, the former dysfunctions that, that Jesus has already traded out for joy. The things that before you gave him that piece of your life, that this was, a, this was a, a brokenness and a sorrow and a tragedy and a death or a sin or an addiction or whatever, but, but the things that he's already, that you experienced, that he's traded those sorrows for joy. If you would, for a moment, call to mind uh, one or two or a handful of those sorrows, and, and I want you to try to remember what it was like when you were there without the joy, when it wasn't healed, when you weren't experiencing the fullness of Jesus. Bring to mind and engage emotionally, if you can, in the grief that came before the joy that the Lord replaced it with.
not holding that grief that once was that pointed to the joy that is. I want you to ask the Lord to, to engage your heart in the joy that he's swapped out that grief, that sorrow for the joy that he's given you. I want you to thank the Lord. I want you to have the Lord, ask the Lord to stir in you a connection with the reality that, once, that, what, that what once was is no longer, that he's given you joy for your sorrow. Just connect with that joy and that thankfulness and that gratitude to, towards the Lord for those areas of your life right now. open your eyes if you want. Um, maybe as we were doing that, something uh, occurred to you. Maybe you went off on a little tangent. You might have realized that there are some sorrows, some griefs, some lonelinesses that haven't been traded out for joy yet. There, there are some brokennesses that still hang in the air like a dissonant chord, unresolved. Maybe, maybe you're like, I, don't, I can't even think of any sorrows that have been traded for joy. I haven't seen the Lord do that. We live in this really unique moment when the joy of the Lord has come, but the joy of the Lord has also yet to come. We live in this unique moment where we are reconciled in a relationship with the Lord, but it's not yet full and complete. It's almost like a season of engagement when we are committed to the Lord, and yet it's not really yet. And so we've experienced healing, but we also still have a limp, don't we? We've experienced joy, but we also still weep. But there's a moment that we know to look forward to when that will change. There is a wedding day that we're, that we're hoping for that we can expect with certainty. And the book of Revelations gives us a little bit of a glimpse to one of those moments of joy that we can look forward to and anticipate. And in Revelations chapter 19, verse 6 through 7, it gives us a glimpse of one of those moments. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding day of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is a moment we look forward to when Jesus, not when he came, because that happened and we can look back to that, but when he will come again, when he will return, when we will come in riding on the clouds. When he will say, behold, I make all things new. When he will wipe away every tear. When he will take every valley and bring it up and every mountain and he'll bring it low. When he will remake heaven and earth, this earth that we live in, it will be remade. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And in the new Jerusalem and on the new earth and in the new heaven, there will be no need for a sun because the glory of Jesus will be more than enough life, light for us to live by. We look forward to that moment. It is a moment of joy that we can expect, even in the midst of our sorrows now. And these sorrows now will sweeten the joy of that moment. If you would, let's just take one last time to connect with the Lord. If you wouldn't mind, maybe close your eyes again. Maybe lift your hands to the Lord. Take another deep breath. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts and feelings, your mind and your heart. And I want you to reach into your heart 
and pull out the unresolved sorrows and brokenness, the hurts and the pains, the wounding, the loneliness. Pull them out from under the rug under which you've swept them or the corner which you've tucked them away in. And I know that most days we need to leave them there so that we can just get by in the day. But just in the privateness of your own heart between you and Jesus and no one else, would you pull those things out and allow yourself to feel the weight of that sorrow, that loneliness, that brokenness, that wounding, just for a moment. If you would, just imagine that you're holding those very specific weights, that sorrow, that loneliness, just that you're holding it in your arms like a physical thing, and you're standing up, and it's the day of the Lord. And you see Jesus, and he's some yards ahead of you. And he's walking towards you, but you're holding this weight and this grief and this unresolved pain. And now he's right in front of you and you're weeping and you're crying because of the sorrow that you hold in your hands. And he reaches out his hands and with the back of his finger, he wipes away all of the tears on your face. And as he does this, he says, behold, I make all things new. And as he says this, the sorrow that you're holding in your hands, it doesn't evaporate, it doesn't disappear, it transforms into joy. And it's still the sorrow and you can still see the loneliness and the pain and the grief, but yet it's joy now. And the fact that it once was sorrow makes the joy of the now so much sweeter and it's light and it's lifted. And that joy surrounds you instead of weighing you down. As you look into the face of Jesus and see love and forgiveness and tenderness in his eyes, Jesus, we thank you for what you have done, that you have reconciled us to you. And we thank you that although we hold sorrows now, we look forward to the day when those sorrows become joy. And even now, we reach forward into history and into the future, and we grab hold of the joy that is not yet, Jesus. We thank you that your joy has come, and we thank you that your joy is on the way, and we have access to both in some great or small measure. We love you so much, and we are ready to worship you and to dance in the joy that you bring. Amen.